Great to see you this morning. Crazy week with the fire victims, right? The largest damage, I think, ever in the state, and I think the largest loss of lives ever in the state through a fire. I can't imagine what people are going through. And now it's another hot day, and it's supposed to be a bad weather for, for fires, like more wind coming. So uh, they need a lot of prayer still. It's interesting that we'll have this happen. It will be the week that I'm preaching on something related. Look at the title. How to be joyful no matter what. And you think, no matter what, look at what they're going through. How can you be joyful in that situation? I don't think it's an accident that the messages line up with what's happening. Because God says, see what's happening in the world. I'm going to show you how to be joyful no matter what. No matter what the situation is that you're in. Because sometimes it seems like instead of enjoying life, we're just enduring life. The goal isn't to enjoy it. The goal is just to make it through. But I don't think that that's God's plan. I think God wants you to enjoy life. Sometimes we think things have to be perfect before we can be happy. If I could only change my situation that I'm in, then life would be happy. There's no such thing as a problem-free life. So if you really want to have a real joy, a real happiness, you have to learn to do it within the problems. Because life is either you're coming out of a problem or you're in a problem, or you're going to go into a problem. Unfortunately, that is life. So if I want to have joy in my life, if I want to have real happiness, I have to be able to find a way to be happy, find a way to have joy in the midst of life, when the circumstances are good or bad. I don't want the circumstances to create whether or not I'm happy or not, whether or not I enjoy life. They say the difference between the word joy and happiness Joy is something internal. It's based on what's going on the inside. Happiness is external. It's based on what's going around you. So that's why Disneyland could be the happiest place on earth. They wouldn't say it's the most joyous place. Because more based on what's going on around you that makes you feel happy, it might not have anything to do with what's inside. You might be on turmoil inside, and you go to Disneyland, and in those surroundings you have a happy time. Because it's external, it's not internal. So that tends to be how people describe the difference between joy and happiness. I think God wants you to find happiness. I think God wants you to find joy. But happiness will be determined on the outside. If you get joy on the inside, you can be happy through everything. But if you don't get joy on the inside, then you'll be happy sometimes and not happy the other times. So you really want that. You want to be changed on the inside of your heart. Paul writes to us about how to have this joy in our life. But when you look at his life, when he writes this, he's in miserable circumstances. Like this is not a time that you would think he would be writing about how to have joy. But it actually is because if you can't have joy in those hard times, then it's not real joy. So he spent two years in prison in Caesarea. They put him on a ship to go to Rome to appear before Nero, the emperor. On the way, the ship is wrecked. Now he's stranded on the island. While stranded on the island, that's bad enough, right? He gets bitten by a poisonous snake. <laughs> so it's like one thing after another. He has to spend the whole winter there. 
Then they continue to roam. When he's there, they put him in prison, and he's waiting there to be executed. And he's going to wait there for two years. His crime is saying Jesus is Lord instead of Nero is Lord. That's the crime. That's the crime. Only Nero, he's the only Lord. He's the king of kings and Lord of lords. Okay? And the Christians are saying, Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's against the law, and it's the death penalty. So he's waiting to go to court. He's going to be executed. So not only is he in prison, but he's in prison with no privacy because he has one of the royal guards chained to him at all times. So every four hours, there's a new guard in there. He's just stuck there. No privacy in prison. It's a hard life. And then he writes in Philippians 1.18, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice at a time that it's not normal to feel joy. Certainly not normal to feel happiness. So he's got a secret that we don't know. There's some reason why he can triumph over his troubles. There's something he's got. How can he delight in his difficulties? How can he stay so happy and positive and joyful in spite of the fact that his life did not go the way he had planned? Don't think that Paul's life is going the way he planned because he got this dream of, I want to go to Rome, and not as a prisoner. He wanted to go to Rome and really preach the gospel because it was the most influential city in the world. And he felt like he started churches in other places. If he could get to Rome and preach the gospel and speak in the, in the Colosseum or whatever they would do back in those days and get things going in Rome, you reach Rome, you're going to reach the world at that time. And their mindset of what the world was, you know, they didn't know about the new world over here. That idea, if we reach Rome, we're going to connect with people there. So it was strategic. That was his dream. I want to go there. But let me tell you what, his life did not go the way he planned. Because not only is he not preaching to people like he, his plan was, he's in prison. He's in Rome. Can you imagine that? It's like you're in Rome. The temptation of your dream. Like, this is where I've always wanted to be, but I'm in prison. God, you've got something mixed up here. How could you not get it right, Lord? Obviously, I'm here. Let me go out and preach. Here's the four essentials of why he was joyful in spite of his circumstances, in spite of the fact that life didn't go the way he expected. Number one, I need a perspective to live from. It's his perspective of life. If you have the wrong perspective of how you view life, you're going to be miserable when bad things come. If you have the right perspective on how you view life, bad things can happen but it won't, change. it won't change your joy. Your problems aren't what's important. It's how you view your problems. Do you see your problems to God's point of view? So your perspective is going to make the difference. If I believe that all things are working together for the good somehow, I can be a problem and have a perspective that I can keep my joy. If I don't believe God's word... So I don't believe it's working for the good. All I can see is the circumstance I'm in. Then I'm going to be miserable. Look at what he said. Philippians 1.12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's saying, you would think being in prison is going to limit the gospel. 
But I've noticed it didn't work out that way. By me being in prison, it's actually making the good news of Jesus Christ spread faster. We'll get into that in a little, in a little bit. But he was able to see what the good was happening there instead of focusing on the bad. Because he could have focused on the bad. He could have focused on the bad because it's bad to be in prison. And I imagine being in prison back in those days was really bad. Like the conditions. I would guess that they would be, you know, really, really bad. So let's see what happens. Here's the next verse. He says, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So his dream is to go to Rome, and he goes to Rome. And he's thinking, if I could get to Rome, I could just preach to people and just something great could happen. He gets to Rome. He doesn't get to preach. So he's in prison, so what does he have to do? And I've shared this with you before. He's stuck there, so that's when he's writing the New Testament. So the people there uh, maybe aren't hearing the gospel preached outside those walls, but how many millions and millions of people have come to Christ because of the Bible? He wrote most of the books in the New Testament all while he was in Roman prison. Remember, he's a doer. He's not the type of guy that sits around. He's the type of guy that is on the go, on the go, on the go. God puts him in prison. What can he do? I've got nothing to do. Okay, I guess I'll write. And that's why we have the Bible. That's why we have most of the New Testament. Okay, so if I go to Rome, we can reach the world. Yes, we can. But nothing like what he, what he imagined. But that's how he reached us. That's how he reached the world through the Bible being written. But do you know what? He also reached Rome. Here's what happened. He's put there by the palace guards. A palace guard has changed him every four hours. The palace guards are the highest paid workers in the whole country. And if you become a palace guard, you get to retire after 12 years. And when you retire, you now get a leadership position within the country there. Who is tied up together with him in chains for four hours at a time? The palace guards. This is how Rome became Christian. Not through him preaching, but through him having four hours with the sky to communicate this. It's a captive audience. I mean, they're actually, it's really captive. You know, you guys can get up and go if you want to. These guys couldn't. I mean, some people had to be with him more than once. But if it's every four hours, that was 4,380 times that a person strapped together with him, chained together with him for four hours at a time. He is the one that won the leaders to Christ that got Rome turned into Christ. It's through him being in prison. If he would have gotten up and preached, he would have probably drawn some people to the Lord, but maybe they didn't have influence. God wanted the Romans that had influence to get saved if he could save them. Now, Nero still resisted. But what a lot of people don't know is through the palace guards and through them going out and sharing their faith and the different things that happened, mostly after his death, okay? Because he was only doing this for two years, then he was executed, but they were continuing on. Over time, behind Nero's back, Nero's wife commits her life to Jesus Christ. Behind his back, because it's against the law, his own wife trains his children to believe in Jesus Christ 
and influences his Nero's mom to become a Christian. And so this is going on for a while. So it's not just the leaders, but now his own family becomes Christian. And here's what Nero was like. When he found out, he felt so much public shame that his own family would turn to Christ. He killed his own mom. He killed his own wife, and he's killed his own kids. To make a point, I am king of kings. I am lord of lords. That's what he did. As you read history, and you're thinking like, whoa, that guy's got some severe problems. Philippians 1.14 says, because of my change, most of the people in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously, more fearlessly. Because of him being there, it's not making people say, oh, we better shut up because we might go to prison. Because they see him being brave enough to go to prison, they get braver. I talked, I think, last week about China. When Christianity was legal there, they had 75,000 Christians in the whole country. When it became against the law, it spread like fire. Isn't that weird? Now that it's illegal, you know, now there's 70 million. How does it get, you know, a thousand times more people? And, by the way, before it was legal, it was very difficult in China because of the culture and stuff to draw people to the Lord. It was very difficult to get a church going. But when it became against the law and communism came in, I mean, people were becoming Christians so fast. It's one of the fastest growing places of Christianity, even though... When I visited China, I was sm- smuggling in a suitcase full of Bibles. What kind of country do you have to smuggle in Bibles and it's against the law? You know, it's against the law to take these in. They would let me take in one Bible if it's in English because then they know it's personal. If I was Chinese, they would let me take in one Bible Chinese if I spoke that language. It's obvious what we're doing when you're smuggling Bibles. What kind of country do you have to smuggle Bibles in? So that's what it was like when I went there. In Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. So here's the lesson that we get. God has a purpose behind every one of my problems. He's saying, I've got a problem. God, I'm in prison. How can this be good? And God says, I have a purpose behind it. And in his case, he wrote the New Testament. That was the purpose. I'm going to settle you down. You're going to write the New Testament. I'm going to have you hooked up together with these palace guards who are the future leaders of this country, and you're going to turn Rome into a Christian country. It's, it's amazing what God does. There's always a purpose behind it. So the perspective is this. I believe, I have a perspective that I believe that God's using it for the good. I can't see it. Sometimes you don't see it at the time, but I believe it. And if your perspective is that way, you can go through hard times and still have joy, because you feel good if you feel like God's using it for the good. I don't know how, but I know he's using it for the good. I, I have my joy. I haven't lost my joy. Number two, I need a priority to live by. This is another thing that we see that Paul had. I need to know what's really important. I need to be able to tell the difference between what's trivial and what's significant. I can live my life based on problems or by priorities. What's important? If I don't decide what's important, somebody else is going to decide for me. If you don't choose your priorities, you're just going to go after one problem after another after another and waste your life away. Look at Philippians 1, 15 and 16. 
Not only am I in prison, but if you want to kick a man while he's down, there are guys out there attacking my ministry. They're jealous. They're envious, rivaling me. Other ministers are criticizing me while I am in prison. If you want to steal someone's joy, probably criticism will do that. He had some religious leaders that was criticizing him. He must be doing something wrong. Why is he in prison? He's not doing the Christian thing the right way. Do you know, if you kind of like do some really interesting, maybe radical, but I'm not talking about weird, but you know, pretty radical things for God, somebody's going to criticize you, okay? So then you say, okay, I'm going to play it safe and just be my own little Christian and and just kind of keep it, then uh, people are going to criticize you. Well, you're not a real Christian. Why, why don't you ever talk about it? Why is it your own little thing? If you really cared about God, wouldn't you talk, you talk about it? What I'm trying to say is no matter where you are and how you're living your Christian life, you're going to be criticized by somebody. There's always going to be somebody that criticizes you. Here's the bad news. It tends to be Christians. That just blows my mind. I don't see, I don't see the unchurched people out there criticizing us so much. I just was... I was talking to this guy where this guy was applying for a job with this group of Christians, a church group thing, and they asked him of his opinion on Joe Olstein, guy on television. And he says, you know, his opinion was, if he's leading people to the Lord, I'm for him. I might not do it his way. I, I'm different. But I'm not going to ever criticize anybody that's leading people to God. But the group didn't like Joel Stein. And they wanted him to flat out say something like, I do not like this guy. And he said, I won't do that. If the guy is trying to tell people about Jesus, I'm not going to, I don't want to say anything negative about him. He might not do it the way I would ever do it, but let him be him. I'm, I'm not going to go around criticizing what other Christians are doing. And they decided not to hire him. <laughs> it's crazy. It was Christians. And, you know, these are bad things that happen. Make sure, make sure that you are never that type of believer. Don't be the person going around criticizing what other people are doing. Here's what he said. They're criticizing him. He said, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or or true, because he knew that some of their motives were false, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. He said, they criticize me. But I don't care if they're still telling people about Jesus. As long as they got the Jesus part correct, that's all that matters. They can criticize me all they want. He had his priorities right. The priority was Jesus. It wasn't about him. It didn't matter what they thought about him. I'm not going to be against you if, you're, if they're teaching Jesus right. You know, why would I be against that? They might not like me, but that's okay. Usually, anybody that's successful in life is going to get attacked. Do you notice, I'm just going to say this, the last three presidents have been attacked, attacked, attacked. When you listen, you know, they all have. It's not just a current one. Before that, Obama was attacked so much. And before him, Bush was attacked so much. But if you think about it, these three people somehow became president. Somehow they became president, even though they're the most attacked presidents of all in history. Because we have media now, we have internet now, and people uh, learn to use it to attack. 
So it doesn't matter if you like the president or not, or if you like the next one or not, they're going to get attacked by so many people. When you're successful, people want to attack you. For somehow, when they, if they can bring you down, it makes them feel like it's lifting them up. Paul wasn't worried about the circumstances. He wasn't worried about the critics. He was worried about, if we can get the message of Jesus out, my life's good. That's his priority. He knew his values. His values weren't about those other things. How many times in marriage have you had little arguments about things and fights, but when you really look at what you're really fighting about, it's just like, if you just look at, you know, people say, well, it's the principle. Doesn't make sense to me. If it's a little problem, it's a little principle. Why even make it an issue? But you look at the things that we get in fights over in marriage, and so many times it's insignificant things. It's not worth fighting over. But if we don't have the right priorities in life, we can make something little big. Something that's not even important, we can make it important. If you know your priorities, you can tell what's big and what's the small stuff. And don't sweat the small stuff. Proverbs 3, 6 says, In everything you do, put God first, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. So that's it. That's what Paul's doing. It's, it's I'm putting God first. That's it. That's my priority. You can have joy in life if you put God first. Just put God first. Here's the lesson. Focus on what really counts. Focus on what really counts. I'm having an okay day. I feel happy. And someone cuts me off. And I get oh, so angry at them. Who cares? Why did they cut you off? Who cares? Why are you going to let something so small ruin your day? There's so many things that we'll get upset about that doesn't, it just doesn't matter. Focus on what really counts and you'll be happy. If you focus on these little bitty things, it's going to mess you up. The third thing that Paul did, I need a power to live on. He knew that he needed strength to keep going, especially what he was going through. If you don't have the strength to keep going, of course, you lose hope. You give up. You don't want to lose your energy. You don't want to lose your power. You don't want to lose your strength to keep going. You don't want to throw the towel in. You know, I've done all I can. It's just not good enough. I'm tired and I just quit. You don't want to quit. Look at Philippians 19 and 20. I will continue to rejoice, even though we know his situation. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. So, he's saying, I have the power to keep going. But what was the power that he said? Through your prayers. There's power in prayer. Pray for people. Pray for one another. There's power in prayer. The second thing, he said, and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He's saying, with you guys praying for me, And Jesus Christ living in my heart, I've got the power to go. Even though his circumstances are really bad. With prayer and having Jesus in your heart, you have the power to keep going. Cornell University did a study of 25,000 POWs from World War II. And they found out people can handle a lot of stress. People can handle a lot of pressure. 
People can go through a lot of stuff. But what they found out is the person gives up once they lose hope. Once they lose hope, that's when they give up. But they saw people go through some tremendous, horrible situations as prisoners of war. But for some reason, they still had hope. They made it through. And, you know, some of them went through some psychological problems for a little while. But they've become successful businessmen and husbands. And they made it through. And they've done great. Senator McCain, no matter what your politics are, he has an amazing story of what he, the suffering he went through as a POW, and he becomes a senator of Arizona, right? And no matter what your politics are, you know, you admire someone that can go through all of that suffering and still come out ahead because he had hope. When people have hope, they have a way to make it through the worst times and even come out a winner. Not like I survived, but I'm a loser the rest of my life. He even came out a winner. Look at Philippians 4.13. I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. With Jesus in me, I can't lose. I have the power to do it because God's in my life. God's in me. So we need a power. Here's what the lesson is. With God's power, nothing can devastate me. That's the lesson. With God's power, I can make it through. Nothing can stop me with God. So, if I'm going to make it in life and keep my joy, I need a perspective to live from. The way I see things, do I see it from God's point of view? I need that. I need a priority to live by. Is God number one? He's my priority. And if I'm going to keep my joy, I need a power to live on. I need Jesus Christ in my life. I'm not going to have that power knowing about religion. I'm not. I need Jesus in me. You know, God, I'm giving you my life. The Bible says the Holy Spirit comes in you. Jesus comes in you. The fourth thing I need is a purpose to live for. We see that Paul had this. This is the fourth reason why you can see that he had joy no matter what. He's old. He's tired. He's been in prison for four years. He's actually ready to go home. He's ready to die. He's prepared for it. He's lost his friends, his ministry, his freedom. We say he lost his ministry, but he, was, he kept ministering to those guards, so maybe not. He lost his privacy. His old ministry he lost. He just started a new ministry. But he lost all these things, but they still never took away his purpose for living. So you can lose a lot of stuff, but if you have a purpose to live, you keep living. If you have no purpose to live, you wouldn't just crawl in a hole and die. Here's what he said in Philippians 121. For me to live is Christ. That's his purpose. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's not suicidal. You know, to die is gain. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, for me to live is Christ. I am here to live for Christ no matter what it costs me. But as a believer, for me to die, if Nero really does follow through and, and kill me, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. Heaven isn't a step down. It's a step up. When someone dies and they're going to heaven and our hearts are broken that they're dying, our hearts are broken because we're going to miss them. It's not because they're going to a worse place. They're going to a better place. 
So he knew that. For me to live with Christ and to die is gain. If I die, that's a gain. I get to be in heaven with God. I want that. But for me to live is Christ. As long as I'm here, I've got a purpose for living. Well, you're in prison. I still have a purpose for living. If he went to prison and said, oh, they took away my purpose for living, he wouldn't have shared his faith with those guards. He wouldn't have changed Rome. Probably a lot of us wouldn't be Christians today. Because Rome became, over time, the main place where Christianity started. And then it started spreading out from there. How would you fill in the blank? For me to live is, you know, television ads, I think, would say this. For me to live is possessions. Would you agree? Television would say, man, if you get possessions, you're living. Get it all you can. Get, get, get. Buy things you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't even like. Yeah. Go for it. I mean, that's what I think you'd get from the ads on TV. Possessions. Or for me to live is pleasure. You know, it's the good life. If it feels good, do it. If I have pleasure, if I can relieve my boredom, I've got a great life. And then you have to go back to work on Monday and it's the pits all over again. Well, maybe on Friday I can live the good life again. So it's like possessions, pleasure, power, position, prestige, popularity. Those are the things that if you watch TV, you think, man, that's, if you live for those things, you've got the good life. You're going to be happy. Dress for success. Dress to impress. Image is everything. I think for teenagers, it's popularity. They'll do anything to fit in, even lower their standards, in order to fit in because they want popularity so much. You could be the most popular person in your school. You graduate. You go back two years later, and nobody in the school even knows who you are. <laughs> You've become hero to zero like that. You know, you think it's so important when you're in high school, you go back two years later, and, and they don't even care who you are. It's not that they don't even know, they don't know, and they don't care. The problem with uh, possessions and pleasure and power and these things, they don't last. They're only in the moment. You know, it's nothing that's going to really give you a significant life. Otherwise, the people with the most pleasure would be the happiest people. They're not. They're not. The people that have the more things would be the happiest there's a higher suicide rate in affluent homes than the opposite. So apparently, affluence doesn't make you a happier person. Paul had a long-term goal. He looked at things in light of eternity. Look at Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He wasn't just living for the here and now. He was living for an eternal future. And by doing that, when the here and now is going bad sometimes, you can still have your joy. Because you know, okay, we lost the house. It's only a house. In light of eternity, it's no big deal. And you just keep going. But if you don't know the Lord, you lose a house, and you don't know about eternity, this is your life, this is all you have, and you're devastated. People get ruined just because their perspective's off. They don't have the right priorities. They don't understand what life's really all about. And they spend their whole life working up that ladder of success, working up that ladder of success, working up that ladder of success, just to find it on the wrong wall. And I said, I spent my whole life to get here, and this is what it is. I'm not even in the right place. But people don't know. And they ruin their lives trying to do the right thing, trying to do the good thing, 
trying to please what their parents told them to do, what their teachers told them to do, that this is where you're going to be. Can you imagine how horrible that is to work your whole life just to find out that it's not satisfying, that that's not, not what life is really all about? You think, why does God leave me on earth after I become a Christian? Why don't I just go to heaven? He has you here so that you can influence other people and that you can encourage other people. Influence and encourage. What does that mean? For me to live as Christ. That's what it means. For me to live as Christ. That's a purpose to live for. Here's the lesson. The secret of joy, and I know this is very old. So you've probably heard this like back 30 years ago. But it's still true. The secret of joy is Jesus first, others second, yourself third. Because, you know, Jesus, others, yourself, it spells the word joy. The J for Jesus, the O for others, the Y for yourself. That's why you have true joy. I know that's an old, old saying, but it's true. You want to have joy, put Jesus first. Put others second, put yourself third. The reason why there's so so much unhappiness in our culture, so many discouraged and depressed people, is because they're preoccupied with self. What's best for me? It's not Jesus first and others second. It's what's best for me. When you learn to have a purpose greater than yourself, that can bring joy. There's something more worth living for. Your purpose in life can outlast you. The things you do to draw people to God can outlast you. It can continue on after you're gone while you're hanging out with God. Do you know, even if there wasn't a heaven, even if there wasn't a heaven, just the fact of the joy that you have for living for God with a different perspective and purpose and everything. If God just said, you only have this time on earth and then you're going to die. I said, there's no heaven, just pretend. There is a heaven, but let's just pretend. There's no heaven, but you only have this time on earth. You still could only have joy living this way. It's still the only way to have joy is to have the right perspective, to have the right purpose, to have those things. Because all those things, pleasure and all that, it still leaves you dry because you're on this earth. So I think, wow, because of what God does in my life, not only do I have a better life here on earth, I'm happier, have more joy, have more peace, have more patience. It makes me kinder. All these things make your marriage better. It makes your relationship with your kids better. It makes your relationship with your friends better. You have better relationships. Life is really good. When you focus on the right things, when you have the right priorities. So even if there was no heaven afterwards, if you want a good life, put God's word into to practice and watch what happens. And then you get heaven afterwards. Isn't that great? You still get heaven afterwards. God wants you to enjoy your life. But it starts with those foundational values. Do you have God's perspective on your problems? How are you looking at your problems? Maybe you need to pray, Lord, help me to see my problem from, from your point of view. Help me to believe that it's going to work out for the good. You need priorities to live by. Have you settled what's really important? Or are you living for things that aren't important? And if you live for things that aren't important, you're going to have misery at the end. Look at Matthew. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Proverbs 3, 6. In everything you do... Put God first, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Focus on what's important. The third one, you need a power to live on. Have you been trying to live on your own power to solve your problems? I'm telling you, there's something about prayer. 
you feel like giving up. And then you start praying, God, and you start talking to God about it. And after you pray, you don't feel like giving up anymore. Because you believe in, okay, God's bigger than this. It's when you don't pray that you continue down that, that road of just giving up on life, giving up on the problem that's going on. I just can't do it anymore. Prayer and the Holy Spirit living in you. Invite Jesus into your life. Don't live a moment without him in your life. You say, well, what do you mean invite Jesus into your life? The Bible promises you, when you say to God, God, I give you my life, the Bible promises he comes in. He comes in. It's a promise. It's the Holy Spirit that actually comes in. The Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's one God. We just experience him in three different ways. So when the Holy Spirit comes into you, that's God coming into you. When the Holy Spirit comes into you, that's Jesus coming into you. It's the Holy Spirit. When someone says, Jesus came into my life, it means the Holy Spirit. God came into my life. It means the Holy Spirit. It's really his spirit. But there's one God, but we experience him in three different ways. Like water. You have liquid. You have ice. You have steam. It's all 100% water, but I experience it in three totally different ways. I can walk on ice. Someone says, you can't walk on water. And I say, wait a minute. Freeze it first. You can walk on ice. You can drink water. You can breathe in steam. Don't breathe in water, though. They're all the exact same thing, but we experience them in three different ways. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's one God, but he's experienced in three different ways. Invite Jesus into your life. When you give your life to him, there's a promise in God's word that his spirit comes in you. Don't live without God being in your life. And number four, you need a purpose to live for. For me to live is money. Wrong purpose. For me to live is this job. What's going to happen when you retire? Boy, was that a mistake. For me to live is that nice home. Think of all the people that just got their homes burnt down. Boy, if that was what they were living for, what a sorry life they have right now. For me to live is Christ. If you're not living for Christ, you've got the wrong purpose. It's doomed for failure. Because everything that you have that you can live for, you're going to lose. One day, if you're married, you're going to lose him or he's going to lose you. Your children, you're going to lose them or they're going to lose you. Your house. Everything that you live for on earth, you're going to lose. It's guaranteed loss, guaranteed failure. You live for God, you're not going to lose God here on earth or in eternity. If you're living for Christ, you've got the right purpose. I'm living for you, God. That's going to show in how I treat other people. It's going to show in how I deal with my stress. Okay, God, I trust you're in control. It's going to show how I deal with my anger. Okay, God forgives me. I'm going to forgive them. It's going to show how I deal with my guilt. God forgives me. I need to let go of my guilt and forgive myself. It's going to change your life for the better in every single way. But I'm not saying for me to live as religion, for me to live as church, for me to live as Bible study, for me to live as ministry. I'm not saying that. For me to live as Christ. There's a big difference. Some people can give their whole life to the church. The church is going to end too. All the churches that we read in, in, about in the Bible, none of them are in existence anymore because they have a lifespan. You all know of some churches that started maybe back in 1920, they were a big, powerful church, and now they cease to exist today. They come and go just like people because everything on earth has a beginning and, a, and an end. But to live for Christ means, in spite of all those things, I'm living for God. I am living for God with that. 
Let's pray. Lord, we know that we need a perspective to live from. So, Lord, we're asking you to help us to see things through your eyes. Lord, that's our perspective. So that we can see that things are working for the good, even when it doesn't feel like it. Lord, we need a priority to live by. Lord, we want to keep our priorities right. To make sure that we're putting you first, our family, keeping things in order. Not fussing and fighting over little things that just don't matter. And Lord, I need a power to live on. And that power comes from you being in me. Lord, with you in me, I can do all things to you when you strengthen me. And Lord, I need a purpose to live for. And God, I'm living for you. I'm telling you, I'm yours. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.